Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Karina Bemisterfer, host of Morning Cup of Murder, your daily true crime podcast. Yes, you heard me right. Daily true crime. Every day, Morning Cup of Murder tells you a straightforward, short-form story about murder, true crime, cold cases, disappearances, serial killers, cults, and more. And I do that all in under 15 minutes. With over three years of stories and over 20 million downloads, the Morning Cup of Murder podcast has become a staple of so many people's daily routines. So why not add it to yours? Stream Morning Cup of Murder everywhere you listen to podcasts. And remember, stay safe. Every town has a dark side. Hey, to each their own. No matter who you find sexually attractive, love can be a tricky thing for all of us to find. It's one of the best things on earth when you got it, and as painful as anything when you lose it. It can drive people to madness. Today's story is an example of just that. I'm Andrew Fitzgerald, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Every Town. Today, I'm going to bring you the harrowing story centered around 18-year-old Stacy Hanna, who in July of 1997 got herself involved in a lesbian love triangle, love and jealousy mixed in a bad way for the trio, and it clouded the minds of Stacy's friends, which ultimately culminated in her extremely violent murder down in good old Richmond, Virginia. Most likely, seeking an adventure and independence were the factors that made Stacy decide to pack up her bags and leave her hometown. It was July 4th of that year when she moved 113 miles away from Lynchburg, headed to Richmond, Virginia, for greener pastures. 
her story went down fast. Didn't take long for Stacy to find friends from the LGBTQ plus community in town, fall in love with a woman, and get killed by the same people she trusted within a three-week span. Stacy found some work at a local bagel shop, spent the first few days couch surfing as she figured out plans for a more long-term place to stay. Her co-worker, Dana Vaughn, introduced her to her friend, Kellyanne Tibbs, who people called Turtle. Shortly after that, Stacy moved into a townhouse on South Belmont Avenue with Kelly and another girl named Tracy Bittner, both of whom were 19 years old. Kelly was a sort of well-known ringleader of the teenage lesbian scene there in the city's predominantly gay Carytown district. And during the time when Stacy moved in, she had an ongoing on-and-off relationship with Tracy, but on the surface, things between them seemed pretty casual. In the beginning, things were going well among the group of friends, which also included Stephanie Call from Chester and Domika Wickler, who lived just around the corner. These girls were frequent guests at Turtle's apartment, and collectively, they were known as the girls of Belmont Avenue. Stacy was described by friends as a kind-hearted and generous individual who never hesitated to extend a helping hand. But she was also known to become a bit clingy when she fell in love with someone. Nothing outright negative, just that when she fell, she fell hard, to the point of obsessing a bit over that person. As young women out in the real world for the first time, romping around the streets of Richmond at night and having fun, Stacy and Kelly pretty naturally were attracted to one another. And just weeks after getting to know and living with Turtle, Stacy was enamored by her leadership qualities, and it was at the right moment when Kelly and Tracy were in a cooling off period, so Stacy tried her luck to woo Turtle. And she reciprocated Stacy's advances, and they had a brief and passionate fling, but Kelly soon realized she wanted to rekindle her romance with Tracy, and this left Stacy devastated and heartbroken. Miss Hannah was so blinded by love or lust that she actually exerted some effort into splitting up the pair when one day she told Turtle that Tracy had found a new girlfriend and essentially didn't want anything to do with her anymore. Turtle, of course, spoke to Tracy about it, and that's when she realized Stacy's web of lies. It was clear that Stacy was desperate to pursue a relationship with Turtle Tibbs. There were also allegations that someone was stealing in the house, which they assumed was Stacy, since it started around the time she moved in. The other girls in the group of friends noticed that Stacy had been poking her way into her housemates' love affairs. That really rubbed them the wrong way. Stacy came in hot and was causing problems, and so the girls of Belmont Avenue decided to teach her a lesson by giving her, as they described it, a good ass-kicking.
So on July 26 of 1997, after a night out drinking on the town, Kelly, Tracy, Stephanie, and D'Amica drove Stacy to an isolated but popular drinking spot off Cogbill Road near the Chesterfield Airport. They said they were going to an after-party out there when the girls stepped out of the car. The four friends shouted all together, One, two, three, four, I love you, right before they started to beat Stacy up. She was defenseless against the onslaught of punches and kicks being thrown her way. And a sort of mob-friend mentality took over the crew and things got out of hand fast. Soon, Domika picked up a nearby cinder block and threw it on Hannah's head, which fractured her skull. As Stacy was crouching in fear, curled up in the fetal position, the girls found a box cutter, and then they took turns stabbing and slashing the poor victim. The four friends then walked towards the car before they decided to return to the badly bruised and bloodied Stacy. They hoisted her up and shoved her into the car's trunk. After the adrenaline had died down a bit, they realized what they had done. They crossed their minds to bring the poor girl to the hospital, but they decided against that. They then figured together, we gotta get rid of her or she's gonna rat us out. The group continued driving for half an hour, stopping at one point so D'Amica could stab Stacy, who was screaming loudly in the trunk. The gang finally stopped at a logging trail off Nash Road, and at this second crime scene, all four women stood over Stacy and spit on her while they removed her clothes and watch, which belonged to Kelly, so that they couldn't be used as evidence against them. Stephanie then got back into her car while the three other women dragged Stacy into a puddle of mud where they ripped her t-shirt and shorts off, leaving her in just her underwear. As Hannah lay semi-naked in the mud, she was stabbed and slashed again at least 65 times in total. Two of the wounds ran all the way from her shoulder to her lower back, Stacy had a last wish before the attack killed her, and that was to call her mother so she could tell her she loved her, but that request was denied by the crew. Tracy then cut Stacy's throat, and they left her laying face down in the murky waters. On a muddy logging road curled up as though asleep with her hands folded under her head like a pillow is how police found her. When they turned her body over, they began to unravel one of the more violent and unusual murder cases in Virginia's history. The following day, back at home, the group told eerie stories from their savage evening. Tracy boasted to Dana Vaughn, the other roommate of Stacy and Kelly, saying, I cut her throat and it felt good. 
Dana had come along in the car but hadn't left the vehicle all throughout the entire ordeal and claimed she wasn't aware of the seriousness of the circumstances. Kelly also took pride in slashing Stacy while screaming at her, Give me your heart, bitch. Why won't you die? One of the young women suggested that they finish what they started, said John B. Boatwright III, Tracy's attorney. No one spoke up loudly enough to say no. I am firmly convinced that they can't believe what they collectively did, and they are remorseful. Later, an autopsy determined that drowning along with blood loss were the reasons behind Stacy's death. Authorities had initially few leads to go on, so they kept 24-7 surveillance on Stacy's housemates. Fortunately, they were able to track down Stephanie's car at a car cleaning service. While conducting a surprise search of the vehicle, they found Stacy's blood and DNA inside. So fairly quickly, the authorities apprehended D'Amico Winkler, Tracy Bittner, Kellyanne Tibbs, and Stephanie Cull and subjected them to a harsh interrogation until Turtle Tibbs finally cracked. Under pressure, Kelly couldn't hold in the truth any longer. She divulged that she was the mastermind of the whole attack, and then indicted the other three girls in the crime. Moreover, Turtle told Chesterfield Police Detective Rick Marmondo, We were all kind of feeding off each other because when Domika hit her, I was like, yeah, you know? And I kicked her and I hit her twice. And then Tracy was like, yeah, you know? We were just going to kick her around. D'Amico was the one who bashed Stacy in the face with a cinder block, fracturing her skull. Thus, with a complete confession from one of the perpetrators, the police were able to charge all four suspects with murder. As D'Amico said to police detective Marmondo, I mean nobody deserved to die, but it was just one of those times. One of those times for what? questioned Marmondo. When somebody had to die, she responded. Domiga also explained on why they had killed Stacy, and that it was to teach her a lesson because Domiga said she has a problem with trying to get everybody to turn against everybody. It was like she was telling sob stories and lies, trying to fit in with everybody else. Prosecutor Warren B. Von Schusch believed in seeking the death penalty for Domiga and Tracy because of their roles in the attack which was deliberated on for hours. The only woman ever put to death in Virginia's electric chair was 17-year-old Virginia Christian, and that was back in 1912. David Botkins, spokesman for the Virginia Department of Corrections, said, You just don't hear about such heinous, violent, predatory-type behavior on the part of young females. Ultimately, Turtle, Tracy, and Domica were all sentenced to life behind bars and confessed to taking part in Stacy's killing. 
Their attorneys said they believe that their clients never intended to kill anybody and were not known to be violent people. Tracy was a talented basketball player in high school while Domika excelled in bowling. They neither had serious nemesis as Domika's family would attest that she was one who often ran from fights, according to her attorney, Gregory Carr. He said she had a dry sense of humor and was affectionate. On the other hand, Stephanie was given a lesser sentence because the jury found she was the least liable among the four women was caught up in the violence that got out of hand. Stephanie claimed she was not a participant in the murder of Stacy and acted only as a driver, as her car was used by the gang. However, she did confess to slashing Stacy on the thigh and down her back. When it was Kelly's turn to be sentenced, she was crying while addressing Stacy's mother, Kathy, and said, I would like to say I'm extremely sorry for what I've done. It's not only your loss, it's my loss too. Outside the courtroom, Mrs. Hannah said of Turtle's apology, It's a joke. I don't think she's sorry at all for what she did. She could have kept her apology. It didn't mean nothing. Why is it her loss? It was her decision to take part in the murder. I'd like to tell Kelly Tibbs, have a nice life. This could have been a landmark case had one of the girls been sentenced to death. According to the dean of the law college at Ohio Northern University, Victor L. Streb, when the death penalty was reinstated in the 1970s, about 390 people have been executed nationwide and only one was female. We are very reluctant to sentence females to death and certainly to execute them, Mr. Streb said. But a factor that tended to lean towards giving Kelly and Domika the death penalty was that the crime was just so horribly brutal. Fast forward 18 years later to 2015, disappointment and anger enveloped Kathy Hanna and her family upon learning that one of the convicted women, Stephanie Call, had been released from prison on the 18th anniversary of the crime. Now 36 years old, Stephanie had served 18 years of her 20-year sentence, and this disgusted Stacy's mother. She said, She's getting out in 18 years? Well... My daughter didn't get to live for 18 years. Mrs. Anna said she was awarded money in a wrongful death suit filed against the killers and vowed to collect every bit of it. And she firmly stated, I promised my daughter I'd get justice for her, and I will. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Every Town, guys. Hope you enjoyed it and thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, come back next week for another episode filled with scary, strange, and mysterious stories because you never know 
Maybe your town will be next. 